0: And get 10% off your plan.
1: The marketing industry is constantly changing. So, how can you stay on top of your game? You'll be glad to know there's a new resource on the way. It's the Institute for Brand Marketing, a program for marketers designed in a collaboration between IBM Watson Advertising and Adweek. Offering complimentary online courses and real world educational experiences, the Institute for Brand Marketing can help cultivate skills for marketers at all levels. Don't miss out, classes begin this September. Visit adweek.com slash IBM to sign up and learn more. That's adweek.com slash IBM.
3: Hi, guys. I am Kimiko McCoy, and welcome to yet another episode of Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, where we talk about everything, because in the end... Heck yeah, it's all actually an ad. Um, today, we are sitting just outside. I hear some, some background noise, but we are sitting just outside the doors um, where we just, we just wrapped up its first ever Next Tech Conference here at the West End and Times Square. Um, we talked about everything from ad tech and publishers to marketers to media and the whole run and gamut. Super excited. So I am here joined by Sarah Gerdy, Josh Sternberg and Marty Swant. If you guys want to introduce yourselves and tell me how it's been so far.
4: Hi, my name is Sarah Gerdy. I'm the media reporter here at Adweek and it's been just two days of great fun.
5: My name is Josh Sternberg. I'm the brand and tech editor and it was fantastic.
2: My name is Marty Swant. I'm a staff writer here at Adweek and yeah, it's been two days full of lots of acronyms you probably would not hear outside these walls or in the attic world.
3: Marty, you sound exactly like an NPR host. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> take that as a compliment. <laughs> I want to take the conversation um, back to Josh because actually, we just walked out of a uh, one of our speakers, Linda at NBC Universal. Tell me a little bit about that. What did we talk about? how did you feel? Thanks for hosting it. You were great.
5: Thank you. Um, it felt fine. Um, you know, it's really interesting talking to the person who sits at top of a 1600 person ad sales team, right? So ad sales, uh, ad sales marketing, ad tech, and learning how this big brand is trying to figure out how to move into a digital and OTT environment when they have a long history and a DNA of selling TV. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting to hear her how she's formed the company over the last seven years. She's had a few reorgs that have quite streamlined the process to help um, address issues within the industry of um, keeping up with the speed of change and how other market, like global marketers and agencies, are also trying to figure out what is going on.
3: Yeah. And I didn't say before, for those of you who don't know who we're talking about, we're talking about Linda Yacarino, who comes from uh, NBC Universal. Um, Sarah, what were some of your takeaways? So
4: I spoke with Neil Vogel, the CEO of Dot Dash, and they had a really interesting story. Um, in 2012, when they were acquired, they were acquired as About.com. Um, so since that time, really in the last three years specifically, since Neil's been there, um, they are now reaching 90 million unique visitors a month. Um, this year they're forecasted to make upwards of $50 million in revenue. Oh, God. Um, growth. Um, so they have a really interesting success story in a time in media that can be kind of grim. So it was great to hear from him on the stage.
5: Can I hop in for something on that?
4: No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Please. <Denied. laughs> so one of the interesting things about Dot Dash has been that over, it's only been recent, within the last year or so, that Mm -hmm. they've been as successful as they have. Mm -hmm. Did you get a sense in talking with Neil about some of the challenges leading up to this year or last year when that turnaround has happened?
4: Um, He didn't necessarily put that specific of a timeline on it, but he did speak at length about how... The challenge is when you do a big brand revival like they did, I mean, there was a lot of brand staying power with About.com, so that was a big thing, making that change. Um, trying to teach new uh, wave of readers what that looked like, um, down to the confusion even with their name Dot Dash. What does Dot Dash mean? What is that? Um, and it's actually, he spoke you know, for kind of the nerds in the room um, about Morse code mm-hmm. and how... Um, that was the sign for the A. And so kind of tied it all back. Um,
5: but they, they he, he went in and they stripped the code. Yeah. They redid everything. Yeah. And they were not successful.
4: No. And, and they knew that they had to really kind of take a look at themselves and determine who they wanted to be and what kind of content that they wanted to write in order to be successful. And so they have seen amazing growth since they've done that. Um, but another thing that was really interesting that he said is that he came in without anybody on board being in in publishing, himself included. He came from Wall Street. Right. Um, So to have uh, everyone in the room um, and hearing that story... And um, he he also just really kind of believes in publishing. He really believes in media. And I think that kind of energy is great to have, like I said, when things can be kind of dark and grim. And he, you know, Neil, he kind of pointed it back to us, not us as in Adweek, but the media industry as a whole in talking about how we kind of carry on this narrative that media is all doom and gloom. But really there are some shining stars out there who have been able to turn things around.
5: It also helps when you have a multi-billion 100% that is right. exceptionally patient right? right Barry Diller being able to see beyond this quarter next quarter this year and yeah. say okay I can take a couple quarters or years of of loss right knowing that when we come out of it we're going to it's going to be hockey stick growth,
4: and that, but that speaks to Barry Diller's want to really take his media holdings in as an investment. You know, just because you're a wealthy person and you decide to take on a media company, it doesn't mean it's going to do well. Say that one mm. more time. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, I mean, hearing him talk the way he did about the resources that he was able to use made me think of, uh, you know, folks like Time, who are now owned by the Benioffs. Um, What kind of resources are they going to make into that publication? Uh, We might see the same kind of growth there.
3: Absolutely. Um, Turning it to Marty now, you actually moderated a discussion between um, two tech investors, Allison Goldberg and John Lambrose. Tell me a little bit about, like, what did you learn, especially when it comes to the money that is flowing into ad tech?
2: Yeah, sure. So both of these people have been in the industry for a long time. So they get to see a lot of context from where things are at now to where things were at a decade ago or even before. And uh, one of the things I asked about is what's happening with investment these days with a lot of regulatory uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the California privacy law that goes into place on January 1st. You've got a number of bills in Congress that, I mean, they haven't gone anywhere so far, but you don't know if they might in the near future. If but then you also have bills. Even at the local level, for example, on Monday um, there was a New York City co- councilman that introduced a bill to essentially ban telecoms from uh, sharing location data um, outside of the, you know that's collected within the five borough area. And one of the things that they said is it's actually making it easier for a lot of um, investors just to say no to some of these ad tech and martech companies because it's just too uncertain, you know, whether or not they can even use the data that they say is valuable to their company. And so they it's whether or not that's the only reason why investors are turning things down, it's definitely um an easy excuse not to invest in something. And they said that it definitely is making things hard to to vet if you don't know if the law is gonna change in the next two months
3: or not. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely agreed.
4: Just speaking about investments overall from from even the three people that we spoke to. Um, it was really interesting to hear the investments that they are making to kind of get a pulse of where the industry is moving. Um, Linda, I thought speaking on their foray into OTT was really interesting. How she sees NBC Universal really kind of making a name for itself, going against all those other OTT companies. And flip that to Neil saying, you know, we're not going to be um, investing in any necessarily crazy new social platforms because we feel like we're in a good evergreen spot with the verticals that we have, though they just did take on Brides Magazine. Um, and so they're kind of really leaning into that. But I don't know. What what did you get from Linda? Um, where do you, I guess, see NBC Universal's new offering as it goes up against all these different competitors?
5: To use that cliche, it's still early innings. Mm-hmm. Um, early days. Early days, early innings, too early to tell. Um, I don't know, right? So I'm trying to figure out if you've got high quality content coming from the ad free platforms,
2: mm-hmm.
5: Netflix, HBO, and these are clearly by evidence of even just, I Emmy- mean, nominations as a benchmark network tv is not represented as highly anymore at at all right nbc i think had two this is us and um the good place Mm -hmm. great show the good place phenomenal show um so if nbc is moving into this world and they're deciding to use a ad supported model how does that match with consumer behavior and ex- expectations? Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all all plays out. But it's really hard to bet against NBC, mm-hmm. much in the same way it's hard to bet against Facebook or right. Google. They're just too big.
4: Well, I feel that way about Disney too. Oh yeah. Yeah. So how is the Disney NBC Universal going to shake out?
5: Well, and I also thought it was really interesting when we were talking about IP, mm-hmm. right? So intellectual property is. I mean, that is the currency and when you see nbc taking its ip off of netflix and putting it in the context of disney ip Mm -hmm. and you know and linda was talking about how nbcu is 20 percent larger than disney and you think well disney has star wars Mm -hmm. disney has marvel i believe um and don't forget about the mouse, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. when you even just those three alone, and then you, you know, it's it's really interesting when we're talking about these economies of scale versus right. the field. It's, it becomes a really challenging question for everybody else.
4: And um, also to mention too, Hulu, who was here on our first day of the event and they're an interesting player in themselves because they have original content as well as a huge library of content plus an ad supported and non ad supported version plus live sports so how does a player like hulu go up against disney or an hbo uh, i don't know i think it's a really fun time to be to be watching
5: agreed and one of the other interesting things that i kind of caught from the conversation with linda was her little aside about talking about the interns and Mm-hmm. Them not liking commercials. And I started thinking about my daughter, who's about to be five in a week, and her favorite part of watching TV mm-hmm. are commercials. Because she doesn't watch commercial TV often. She knows Netflix and she knows Hulu and she knows specific mm-hmm. shows. So the Beat Bugs are on Netflix and Tangled is on Hulu. Mm-hmm. So when I watch The Yankees on Yes and a commercial comes on, she sits on the floor with her mouth open, agape, and just amazed by commercials.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: I can't imagine she's alone.
2: Mm-hmm. So it'll be
5: interesting to see how these different age groups over time mm-hmm. learn behaviors of ads. Mm-hmm. You know, we block them sometimes literally uh, or just getting up out of the room. Mm-hmm. But my daughter, she finds the content from ads to be mesmerizing because she doesn't see them as all. and She doesn't associate mm-hmm. TV with network, with NBC, ABC. She sees TV as binary, it's Netflix or Hulu and you can't watch both at the same time.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Within that same vein, you actually had a conversation um, with the CRO from Twitch earlier. I did. And he brought up something about ads as well. An interesting thing that um, being a social media editor, um, you know, you get served ads on social media platforms all the time, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, um, you know, Amazon, whatever. Um, One of the things that he noted was the age group that is on Twitch actually turns their ad blocker on to not be um, bothered by it at all. So, that was super interesting, but what were some of the takeaways that you got from that conversation besides his awesome socks?
5: What were the socks? So, he was...
3: Twitch-themed socks.
5: What? Yes. They were, they were <laughs> A+. Plus. I have dogs
2: on my socks today. Did those count?
5: No. Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not good enough. So, one of the interesting things about Twitch, besides the Bob Ross conversation that's
3: actually one of the first things when i logged on to twitch that was the first thing that i saw it was amazing how it took off and it wasn't even like original content that they put out no. it was just like bob
5: rocks so for listeners at home uh twitch the live streaming video gaming platform where people watch other people play video games mostly
3: and asmr
5: yes and asmr <laughs> maybe i should get a little closer <laughs> to the microphone oh no.
4: god please guys
5: talk a little I this. Hate this so much. <laughs> Oh God! Really? Um, was that Twitch? Twitch bought the rights to um, famed painter, bushy-haired Bob Ross, and they started running it continuously. And they saw this data point where viewing spiked. Mm-hmm. And I think of the implications of that: of being able to create community around content in ways that we might not be thinking. And as Twitch continues to evolve and they're going to evolve much faster than we may think in large part because their owner is Amazon. Yeah. Um, we're going to see some really interesting things come from that universe. You're going to start to see more on the brand side, get involved with being able to understand live video games, yeah. esports, streaming games. We're going to... We're at such an interesting time right now in media where we are we are watching several industries rise up out of nothing, and it's pretty fascinating to watch. Yeah, um, esports is one of those.
3: Absolutely, absolutely, and that was actually a talking point that we'd have had um, several times before about marketers needing to be more involved in that space um, because it's growing so much,
5: and they have to be really careful, nimble about it, right. Yeah. So. Taking an ad and slapping it on a website or, or putting an ad on, a, on a, as a commercial is very different than dealing with an audience that A, doesn't like ads, mm-hmm. as evidenced by the ad blocker. Um, but but B, is focused on what they're doing and any disruption, there's a equal negative right. blowback from mm-hmm. doing that. So marketers have to be really careful yeah. in how they approach this. And to Twitch's credit, they're figuring out ways to allow brands into that environment. And I think that's really uh, the the key here, is that Twitch recognizes that. And, yeah. and Walker Jacobs, who's the chief revenue officer, gets that. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was a pretty interesting conversation.
3: Yeah, and I think this is a space more where you've seen brands and marketers kind of work better with influencers than slapping on an ad to something. So. Absolutely.
1: Is the pace of change and evolving demands of your job making it difficult for you to get ahead? If so, you'll definitely want to join us this September for the Institute for Brand Marketing. It's a professional development program designed in a collaboration between IBM Watson Advertising and Adweek, specifically for brand marketers. The Institute for Brand Marketing program will provide complimentary interactive courses, custom research, thought leadership, and live educational experiences at industry events across the nation. Don't miss this limited-time resource for professionals at all levels who want to hone their skills and advance in a world of disruption and innovation. Be the first to enroll as classes begin this September. Go to adweek.com slash IBM to sign up and learn more. That's adweek.com slash IBM.
3: Speaking of slaps... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not oh, gonna man. stop. Oh, <laughs> my. Let me apologize I think
2: I know where this is going.
3: Do you know where this is going? Facebook getting a slap on the wrist. <laughs> Take it <Five>. away. <laughs> <laughs> I was following that.
2: <laughs> yeah. So um, speaking five billion dollars. Five billion dollars. Um, a lot for you and me. Yikes! Not much for them. They not could have much taken five dollars
3: away from me, and that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah it's a lot of money yeah so (laughs) and you know it's surprising how little that seemed to have come up at least in the panels that I saw today and yesterday it might have been because the news broke yesterday morning
3: just to kind Um, of rehash what the news was yeah um, Facebook has now been fined um, five billion yep or they're settling in a lawsuit and this is with the the data scandals and whatnot that's happening Um, we've been waiting on that shoe to drop for a while
2: yeah. So it dates back to the Cambridge Analytica issue that, you know, from early last year, and this has been a year long investigation by the FTC. And so this settlement uh, came yesterday and yeah, $5 billion fine. Um, but it also includes a number of new requirements um, that the FTC is placing on Facebook in uh, related to privacy. So they're going to have to create an independent privacy committee um, that's not just made up of Facebook employees, but made up of a, a, an independent group that has to approve all these people, just to create a bit more of a check and balance. So it's not just people that are maybe um, you know beholden to Facebook shareholders, but people that maybe have privacy in mind. So it's one thing: they um, they won't be long. They will, will they will no longer be able to use um, like phone numbers um, for ad tracking if those are supposed to be specifically used for like. You know, security. Um, but there are a number of issues that they're added on. And one of the, the most interesting things that the FTC added is, by the way, like Facebook had to agree to all these in order yeah. to have the settlement. But Mark Zuckerberg and a number of other compliance people will have to sign off every quarter on the data compliance issues. And if it turns out that they're misleading or that they missed something, then he um, will be potentially, you know, Liable legally for this, and that could result in criminal or civil fines or penalties mm-hmm. of some sort. And so, um, this is for the first time in the company's history placing a lot more onus on the CEO himself. And you know, the question I have, and something like you know Josh and I were talking about earlier this week, is what does this mean exactly for other CEOs now too? Um, does this does this create a precedent for the entire industry where CEOs are now beholden in a lot? To a lot stronger standard yeah. um, for the data that they have.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it means a lot. Um, and really quickly, if you're hearing sirens in the background, <laughs> we are promising we are not in a war zone. <laughs> we are at the uh, Next Tech event uh, that Adweek, our Adweek's very first Next Tech event that we hosted here uh, at the Westin in Times Square. So that is the the noise that you're hearing in the background. Here are some some cocktail glasses clinking over there. Um, <laughs> Cops and cocktails. (laughs) Is that our new podcast?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) Um,
3: But yeah, it's interesting to see uh, how other CEOs are going to have to kind of be players in that space. Especially once you have a CEO like Zuckerberg, which was there from the very beginning. Like this was not something that he kind of walked into, and a problem that he acquired. Like you know, it was from from day one. I actually read a story the other day that Facebook had has a, a group chat for kids' messengers type deal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's a separate
2: uh, app. It's supposed to be for kids like 13 or I forget what the age range is, but yeah. Yeah,
3: and then somehow um, it kind of opened up to um, I think adults or older or just like in general it opened up.
2: Unintentionally, I think.
3: Unintentionally yeah. in that because of the age restriction that was gone, now all of a sudden you have that space opened up for data collection as well, so You know, with this news happening and then that kind of happening, like I'm interested to see where that's
2: going to leave. Well, then there are other two other pieces, too. I mean, there's there's the FTC hearing or uh, settlement, but then also the DOJ, you know, filed a 76-page complaint yesterday as well. On whether or not Facebook has been deceitful, like you know, in their data practices in general, Um, and so it's this is not a done issue. I mean, the settlement definitely is a is a big culmination, Mm -hmm. but I mean, there's a lot of questions. Will there be other lawsuits that that are brought against the company? Um, There, there. There's also a complaint that was brought against Cambridge Analytica, um, even though they settled with the former CEO and the app developer that was at the kind of at the center of that. So um, this is kind of stage stage one, act one,
3: I guess, yeah. to this
2: ongoing issue.
3: Absolutely, for sure. Definitely interested to see where that's going. Josh, you looked like you wanted to hop in.
5: Well, there is the, also the SEC hundred million dollar fine. There's also the SEC hundred million dollar fine.
3: Yikes.
2: And that's that's a question. Do you want to no, in no. on that?
5: That's all you, buddy.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's just another thing too. It's it's whether or not they were um, as communicative with shareholders. I think is the issue on a lot of these issues. You know, from from the get go, um, and because I mean, obviously, five billion dollars gone is a lot of money gone from shareholders. Even if it is, I forget their earnings
5: for this. Forty-five, score. I think. Forty-five. Yeah. So what? Give or take it? a billion.
2: Yeah. So it's like a what, like a one ninth of this quarter's revenue. I mean, am I doing my math right? I'm a writer, not a mathematician, but yeah. So it's it's a small amount, but still, five billion dollars to shareholders is still a lot of money. And so it's interesting to see the F- the SEC, the DOJ, and the FTC all weighing in on the exact same day.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we will see how this pans out. Gracious day. Any other takeaways that you guys got from today's conference? I know on social media we were seeing if you were following us today on Twitter, we did a live. Stream tweeting under Adweek Next Tech, hashtag Adweek Next Tech. So if you're looking for any coverage there, you will find it there. We did lots of retweeting, tweeting. Um, our Instagram has lots of social coverage on there. Didn't miss a beat. Shout out to my Diana Dougal, McDougal. Any other takeaways that you guys
4: had? Um, I don't like all the jargon that our industry produces. <laughs> and there are so many stupid words.
5: Um, What's your favorite? <laughs>
4: the one that I heard these last two days was fast, and that's free ad-supported television.
5: Ah, the good, Hulu, the Hulu one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
4: How about you guys?
5: No, I hate them all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I heard one today instead of just being SaaS, like software as a service. Um, apparently, there are some companies that are pitching SaaS-like companies, which I wonder what's the difference between a SaaS-like company and a SaaS company.
5: But um, who knows? <laughs> to your point, the idea that we can't say things simply, right. and that we have to come up with acronyms, to as describe a,
3: everything, and that yeah.
5: and a lot of it is, it's it's marketing, it's business speak, it's jargon. Yeah. And if you can talk in shorthand, sure, but at the same time, if I need to explain. What these things mean? Why can't I just say that?
4: Yeah, I think it's a lot of egos trying to sound a lot smarter than they actually are. But when you yeah. think about the damage that that can cause, I mean, the entry point to access the industry then gets really high. Yeah, because you have to go through that learning curve and understand what all the acronyms mean. Yeah.
3: and before you can even right. In the story. Yeah, right. and it's, yeah.
5: it's 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 hard. Like, how do you know the difference between a DSP and an SSP?
3: Mm-hmm.
5: A DMP, CMP.
3: Mm-hmm. And then list- I heard SPO. Is that one of them as well? SPL. Oh.
5: Oh, SPO. Supply. Platform optimization. optimization. I don't know.
3: I haven't
2: heard that one. Yeah, yeah. I think okay. I think that
5: I've gotten no one. I mean, and then even outside of the acronyms, right? Of how these things work. So when you have an industry that is both defined and beset with opacity. Mm-hmm. Um. You've got players that are purposefully driving obfuscation because if they're the only ones that know what these things are, they make more money. Yep. This sounds a lot easier. The cynical point of view. I
3: think another pain point that I heard um, was data collection. Not in the Facebook way. Right. (laughs) More so so of like what, when it comes to marketing advertising, like how much data do you actually need? And at what point does it stop being about data and start being about your intuition as a marketer, as an advertiser? Um, A lot of the speakers that we had kind of were pitching data as being like the most, I've said data and data, (laughs) whatever. Um, as That's being okay. kind of the, the most important leg of the, the factor, the equation of um, marketing and, and advertising. But what are you guys' thoughts on um, that that battle?
2: Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a tough question. And I think, well, one issue there, too, is, is what do you actually need in terms of data? Like right. some of these companies are trying to like bring in more in-house. But I think the other interesting thing, too, is I th- I think I heard this on the... On one of the other panels, but um, some companies are trying to bring more data in house, and also their contracts in house because mm-hmm. it makes it easier to to buy if you have everything you know in all in one place. And so, because there's been this trust issue, I think too between agencies and brands and these ad tech companies. And so, um, who has what? Not just from the trust from like the privacy side, but also trust of like the competitive advantage. Because if a company is, has been controlling in a brand's data for a long time, and they suddenly want to switch partners you know, that middle person can be like, well, this is going to take a long time. It might slow down your your spend, which might hurt your revenue. You better just stick with us. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then also like, you know, how much data is too much data? Like how much do you actually need versus yeah. how much you're using to where it becomes this this odd um, this odd thing. But
2: I think that's what's been interesting too. There are a number of startups that are trying to think about how do you clean data? Yeah. Yeah, and so it's almost like, you know, like oil has to be refined. So does data. I mean, that's like one of the, more common use phrases yeah. these days. But it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, How do you actually clean that? And when you have specific startups that are, that's their sole job is to fill that gap um, that could potentially be an interesting spot.
5: And a lot of brands that I've been talking to recently have been have been kind of beating this drum of, well, we know big data. We know that it exists. We know what it is. We just don't know what to do with it. And they're starting to figure out that they can do interesting things. Now, again, back to the cliche of too early to tell, Mm -hmm. because they're still trying to figure it out. Um, We're going to see a shift move from the what to the why. And it's going to be interesting watching brands try to grasp what to do with this data and then... Why, like, why push it forward in in the ways that they're pushing it forward?
2: So, I think one one issue is how many people are going to be opting in to sharing their data, and how many will be opting out, and that's going to have a, a potentially big implication for what kind of targeting these companies can do. Um, even on Facebook's uh, earnings call yesterday, well, um, whatever day that was, uh, Wednesday, um, just to give some context, to when we're recording this, um, they said in the call, ad targeting, you know, like issues with ad targeting is going to you know, cut back on, it's, it's going to force, it's, it's going to slow down their growth in terms of revenue. Yeah. And so in, in this year and into next year, and I'm sure Facebook is obviously not the only one that's going to have that issue. And when, when you can't collect as much data and you can't connect as much data, it's going to be a lot harder to monetize the data.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Excited for that. Love to see that wait and see period. Um, okay. We are going to go ahead and wrap up. But before we go, everybody... In only a few words, tell me what are your final thoughts, wrap up, what's going to, what are you going to take back with you when we get back to the office?
4: I'm going to take back that there's a lot that we don't know about the connected TV OTT space. Um how these big players are going to shake out in the next year, who's going to be willing to pay for these services. Um, Subscription fatigue is a real thing, and Mm -hmm. it's going to become even worse as more services go online. Um, So just really interested to see who's got the manpower and the resources to fund the marketing efforts that need to be funded to kind of push these new streaming services to the forefront of the conversation.
5: I had a few conversations with folks um, outside of the panels where some very large brands are going to be starting their own media networks. So I'm going to be looking into how or why a brand wants to be a media company, since we all know that media companies. Dark place. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Support journalism.
2: Buy ads, buy subscriptions, yes. buy ad week. No, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. I'm done. Oh, okay. Um, that's one of the the shorter Josh answers. I want to go home. I'm <laughs> 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 um, sorry. Um, that's a good ending spot. No, but um, I think for me, it's just it's just like yet another reminder um, of how convoluted this space really is. Back to Sarah's point of there are so many companies in this space, you know, competing for a lot of dollars but still it's it gets really confusing and how many of these vendors and how many of these partners do each individual brand does each individual brand actually want to work with and so i think being in the thick of this for two days um, versus just covering these stories kind of day in and day out it's just a a different perspective of how just messy this space can actually get
4: yeah yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely
3: well Thank you guys so much. This has been another amazing episode of Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. Um, Once again, we are wrapping up our very first Next Tech uh, conference here at the West End in Times Square. Thank you so much for everybody who joined us. And thank you to the people who helped me co-host this podcast, Sarah Jurdy, Josh Sternberg, and Marty Swan. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. This episode was produced by Chris Ahrens, audio engineered by Josh Rios, and edited by Lane McGibney, and music was by Home. Don't forget to take a minute to review, like, and subscribe. It makes it easier for new listeners to find us. And we will see you guys next time. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye.